This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about a really important figure in women's history, <laughs> Lisa Frank. <laughs> Let's just cut right to the chase. A lot of, yeah, she's important to a lot of women. Uh, also men. Yeah. Sure. I mean, really without Lisa Frank, I don't think that we would have had the kind of gender equitable progress that we have enjoyed <laughs> since... The late 80s and 90s, because, I mean, really, people underestimate the power of unicorns and golden retrievers with ice cream cones on trapper keepers to really communicate the need for intersectional feminism. And, I mean, I feel like you're leaving out a really important figure in all of this, which is Priscilla, the white fluffy cat who has a tiara. Um, I feel like she really furthered the cause as well because women do deserve to buy themselves whatever jewelry they want. And eat fancy feasts for dinner if they so choose. And if you can sit on a rainbow, I mean, all the better. I think we're actually getting real Lisa Frank mixed up with uh, feminist Lisa Frank, the Tumblr. Oh, is that not what this is? Or is that what this is? I don't know. <laughs> it's all now <laughs> blending together in a rainbow nightmare. Well, um, yeah, feminist Lisa Frank, the, the Tumblr account was like a huge, massive, hilarious thing not too long ago, but just as quickly as it emerged from the rainbow sands of time and the internet, uh, it, it got shut down, didn't it? Or, it? or it got slapped with some sort of like copyright infringement. From Lisa Frank. Yeah. Lisa Frank was not super happy the, about... The human person, because she's real. Yes. Lisa Frank, the person and her company, <laughs> sent an intellectual copyright infringement notice to Tumblr to try to get them to shut feminist Lisa Frank down. Um, and, and I even have... The wording they used, uh, I love this. It's, it's a very, they pulled a really mom move with this where they say, uh, we at Lisa Frank aren't upset so much as disappointed <laughs> that you decided to use Lisa Frank's artwork without asking for her permission. Well, also, isn't there another part to that quote or am I thinking of an internet comment? Uh, which is entirely possible. Didn't she say something about like, if you're so big on supporting women, why are you taking other women's work? Well, yes. She says, uh, it was particularly ironic that Lisa was disrespected in this way to deliver a message of respect for women. And I, 
really, really hope that Lisa Frank herself and not Lisa Frank's like executive assistant <laughs> wrote <laughs> this, uh, this note to Tumblr. Um, because she does only refer to herself in third person as Lisa or Lisa Frank. I, I feel like that is my reality. That's my truth. <laughs> well, and it might seem so frivolous for us to devote an episode to the real Lisa Frank. But A, sometimes we need a little frivolity in our lives. That's sometimes right. we need some rainbow printed baby cheetahs to brighten our days. It's true. And a lot of people probably don't know that she's real. And <laughs> she's kind of making a comeback thanks to 90s nostalgia. Well, 90s nostalgia, but also there was an artist who uh, I'm surprised there hasn't been another uh, third person Lisa Frank takedown of this. But some artist just put out Lisa Frank tarot cards. And dude, so I posted it to our Sminty Tumblr, right? I like took some screen grabs of a bunch of the cards and it's hilarious because like death is represented by a bunny on a unicorn, which is like, yeah, I don't get it, but yes. And uh, Tumblr users converged <laughs> upon this post to inform me. That these were not, in fact, Lisa Frank tarot cards, but that these images were stolen from Lisa Frank and that they were created by a third party. It's not like Lisa Frank was like, you know what? I'm going to create a tarot deck. And it's like, thanks. Thanks, hundreds of people who commented. It's kind of surprising that she doesn't have a tarot deck because Lisa Frank has been licensed to so many Products. It would only make sense to just toss a tarot card deck in there. Also, I'm now imagining that all of those Tumblr users who were commenting on that are were actually Lisa just, Frank. Yes, it's all Lisa <laughs> Frank. Lisa Frank just spends her days on Tumblr writing about herself. Lisa on Lisa. That's actually her Tumblr name. And she tracks down anyone who is co-opting her art because she is a serious artist. So she says, um, and so she says, and starts and starts, starts a little, uh, a little Tumblr spat. Um, well, she she is a real artist, or she's trained as an artist. She's also she's also a, a natural businesswoman. That's how she got into all this stuff. Although I don't know, listeners out there, anyone who's ever worked for Lisa Frank, because there have been hundreds of you, might disagree with my assertion that she's a natural businesswoman. Yeah, I think she's actually a terrible businesswoman. Well, I guess what I should have said is she naturally has an entrepreneurial spirit. That is an excellent way to put it. There we go. Um, so should we should we start with baby unicorn Lisa when <laughs> yeah. she she was but a foal? So uh, she did. Lisa on Lisa, by the way. <laughs> Is one of the the best things. Any any quotes from Lisa Frank about Lisa Frank are terrific. So we're going to be direct quoting a lot throughout this podcast. I'm just picturing uh, like a coffee time. Like I'm literally posing the way that I imagine her to be if she if she had a tumbler called Lisa on Lisa. Like head tilt, uh, probably a bright red blazer with shoulder mm, pads. Yes. You know, she's got the sensible lob haircut. With some floofy bangs, mm-hmm. tilted tilted head with a with well, her head resting on her hand. Would it, she have a Lisa Frank coffee mug? Yeah. Oh yeah, with Priscilla on it. Oh. Per- Priscilla. Priscilla. Yeah. 
Um, and actually, it's it's worth pointing out. I know that I've like totally strayed from your unicorn baby unicorn Lisa reference, but it is worth noting that out of all of the characters in the Lisa Frank universe, Priscilla, the fluffy white princess cat, is the character that Lisa says she identifies most with. Yeah, she uh, told Urban Outfitters, yes, that Urban Outfitters, <laughs> that uh, there's probably a little bit of me in each character. But she said that she most identifies with Priscilla because, quote, she is very into glam and glitz and jewelry and everything very girly. Um, and I and I like that she accessorizes Priscilla with versions of Lisa Frank, actual Lisa Frank's own jewelry. Um, but in the same interview, she notes that she's not a cat person. Yeah, what? So your your internal, I don't know what your Patronus is a cat, but you're not a huge fan of cats. That's what I'm saying. Lisa on Lisa is the best. She's a conundrum. She is a conundrum. Um, but she did say that she's always been obsessed with candy and color. Always. Um, and she considers herself, her words, not mine. A lunatic for detail. She refers to herself as crazy in various kinds of ways a lot, I will say. Well, uh, being friends with several graphic designers, I know I've watched them work and it it can be hard when you're creating something, uh, a piece of art, whether it's for yourself or for like a marketing brochure or whatever, to know when to stop. I mean, I feel like that's something that a lot of artists deal with within themselves, like that perfectionist tendency to make your art amazing. I wish that we could hire Lisa Frank to design marketing brochures for stuff mom never told yes. you. We yes. need that ASAP. What would our animal so she's Priscilla, what would we be? Oh man, that's a tough one. I mean, could we could we add narwhals to the yeah. Lisa Frank universe? Yeah. I think they'd fit right in. Yeah. They have horns. Yeah. Um, so back to real Lisa. Oh, sure. Little baby unicorn foal, Lisa. <laughs> she grew up in a wealthy Detroit suburb and her father was an auto industry executive and she loved drawing as a kid. But it was sort of sad the way that her art was fostered during her childhood because she said to keep me quiet they brought in coloring books and crayons oh hello welcome to my childhood my parents only had one kid they wanted me to sit quietly in church what do you think they had to do i don't know did did you color i colored also well i think it was to keep me from falling asleep in church more than it was to keep me quiet because i was a pretty quiet child how full circle would it have been if you had been coloring lisa frank Coloring books in church. Inception. Not well, I mean, not, not really, but yeah. Did she, she had coloring books, right? I don't think I had any of hers. I, I did have a, uh, uh, New Kids on the Block coloring book. Whoa. Hopefully you didn't bring that into church. My goodness. All that, all that sexual tension in those pages. I know. Tempered it with a gem coloring book as well. Anyway. Well, speaking of coloring books, that is one reason why we're talking about Lisa today. Because a little while back, it was announced that uh, Lisa Frank was coming out with an adult coloring book. Because apparently she does listen to stuff Mom never told you and listen to our episode (laughs) on adult coloring books. And the Internet went wild uh, over this uh, coloring book, which I think you can get at Dollar General. 
I mean, that's the sweet thing about it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So again, entrepreneurial, maybe not businesswoman minded. Well, you know, maybe a way to think about it is uh, she's a woman of the people. Oh, populist coloring books. Populist coloring books. You can get it at Dollar General. Communist. (laughs) (laughs) She's just one or the other. Communist Lisa Frank. It's a kitten, like a kitten with a little cap on and like a chisel. Carrying the scythe. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, maybe maybe communist Lisa Frank is turning her back (laughs) on her uh, she-she upbringing because she did attend the Tony Cranbrook School, where both Mitt and Ann Romney graduated, and also Selma Blair. So mm-hmm. there you go. Hashtag okay. cruel intentions. <laughs> um, well, and it seems like her entrepreneurial spirit really kicked off with a high school art show where she sold $3,000 worth of original Lisa Franks. That's pretty impressive, considering I made no money on my art. Well, and who was it who was buying... I mean, wasn't it, wasn't it Lee Iacocca? Chrysler executive <laughs> Lee Iacocca? The Lee Iacocca? The Lee I- yeah. I read that and was like, man, man, this lady had a much different school experience than I did. Well, once she made uh, these thousands of dollars, her dad was like, okay, Lisa, I'm not really going to pay for anything anymore. You're making commissions off your art. So, well, it's you interesting. I mean, it's interesting the way she talks about her dad and, in, in the few interviews that she's done because she clearly like he was a major influence on her. She talks so proudly about when he chose to display some of her pieces in his collection on the walls of their stately, their stately estate. I don't know. Um, but she's like, you know, he wouldn't just do that to like make me happy or show that he loved me. Uh, he, he did it because I was worth it. Or maybe that's just my interpretation. Lisa on Lisa. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Um, well, after her dad kicked her off the family dole, essentially, she studied at University of Arizona pursuing art and math. Hey, hey, there's STEM fields. Um, steam. And, <laughs> steam. There you go. Yeah. She was totally steam. Full steam ahead. But, um, mm. <laughs> and her first uh, business was Buying Native American pottery and jewelry, taking them back to Michigan, and then selling them at a markup. Yeah, and so she starts representing these artists and ends up taking requests from customers, I guess, back in the Midwest, uh, delivering those requests to the artists. And she's like, oh, wait a second. Like, if I'm the middle woman, why can't I do this myself? Yeah, so at age 20, she started a plastic jewelry line called Sticky Fingers. Which I Googled. I was desperately trying to find images of Sticky Fingers jewelry, and I couldn't. So. Disappointing, Internet. Come on, Internet. I know. Don't you get disappointed in the Internet when it just will not, you know, it doesn't have some something like Lisa Frank's (laughs) original jewelry? 1970s jewelry line? Seriously, technology? Well, that just, it to me, I was just surprised that I couldn't find anything definite. I mean, there were, like, things tagged jewelry, Lisa Frank, whatever. But, like, I was disappointed because you would think that with how much cultural cachet Lisa Frank holds, especially for people our age, that the internet would be covered in in jewelry sleuths trying to find her early stuff. Well, I bet it's because 
only until recently have more people started to figure out that she is real and not oh. just a, a trademark. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Sticky Fingers was very successful. She uh, ended up uh, selling it at Neiman's and Bloomingdale's. Uh, and she, <laughs> so she was basically living like every real housewife's dream. Because <laughs> I feel like there is a real housewife in every city who tries to launch <laughs> something akin to a plastic jewelry line. I'm sure much, uh, much more. Uh, well, what are you going to do all day other than just sit by the pool? <laughs> Got to launch a jewelry line. Get, oh. you, get you glue sticks and I your just, bedazzler. I offended a lot of listeners right there. I'm oh. sorry. People who have jewelry lines. I'm like, I'm sure it's amazing. And you do make them by the pool. Yeah. But young Lisa could not be contained to just jewelry. Uh, the whole jewelry business turned her attention to stickers and buttons. <laughs> and she says that uh, she first got the rights for Betty Boop, Popeye, and Mighty Mouse. And <laughs> she says, quote, I would put, like, Betty Boop on a unicorn. And that like is part of the quote. Yes. Uh, and I love that, and I want to see that, um, because why wouldn't you? Want to see Betty Boop on a unicorn. But also, there's that young Lisa entrepreneurial spirit again where, you know, she's, what, 20 here. What was I doing at 20? Just being drunk somewhere at college. And here's Lisa Frank like, oh, well, nobody's really licensing these images from years past, you know, pop culture of yore. Why don't I do that and put it on stuff that you can put on yourself? And put those characters on unicorns. Yes. (laughs) Even though in this uh, 2015 very recent interview with Foundations magazine that I was thrilled to find. She said, at first, I didn't want to do unicorns. The artist in me said no. (sighs) Then I thought, wait a minute, this is commercial art. Let's do what's going to sell. Well, that's right. Wasn't that part of her whole deal when she was working with the Native American artists and their turquoise jewelry? Didn't she start making some of her own? Or people were putting in requests for those artists to make unicorns and hearts and stuff. Well, she came up with those requests. She had the hunch of what would sell because she had been, you know, selling to these people. So she went back to the the artisans. And I've got to say, Lisa... Past Lisa, 1970s Lisa, there was nothing wrong with unicorns. Oh, no, not at all. As a child, I was obsessed. (laughs) It really launched a whole empire for her. Um, And with that, by by putting these uh, Betty Boops and Popeyes (laughs) on unicorns and putting those on stickers, she gets her first contract with Spencer's Gifts. Love it. When was the last time you thought of a Spencer's Gifts? When I was reading for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I hear about Spencer's Gifts, uh, because it happens so often, you know, um, but whenever I think of that store, I just think of the smell of incense, lava lamps, black light posters, like the back of the store that had like weed and boobs on things Mm -hmm, where you had to be 18. So many keychains. We gotta go back to Spencer. There is, there is one at a mall around here somewhere. Oh, heavens. But she also ran into her first business downturn when there was a sticker slump <laughs> in the 1980s. I kid you not. I know that was, I, I, I read that little tidbit, that historical tidbit. I had no idea about the massive sticker slump of the 1980s. I want to say that it, that was one, a little, uh, line in a piece in time about her. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> 
There you go. Cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I just, I guess it's hard for me to imagine because I had so many stickers when I was growing up and I was born in the 80s, as were you. So. Well, the, it, was, it wasn't you bringing the, the, the sticker slump on. It sure was. You were, you were supporting Big Sticker. Sally was like, let's get this kid more stickers to shut her up. I don't know. Um, it is worth noting, though, that the unicorn was not the only one of her like very original designs mm-hmm. that might be familiar to listeners. The classic bubblegum machine was also there from the beginning because, yet again, bringing her dad mm-hmm. into the picture, she said she was inspired to do all the bubblegum stuff because of an antique gumball machine her dad gave her. Yeah, and then she's like, in the same interview, she's like, okay, you know when you like something and then people pick up on that you like it and then they get it for you? Like, I have so many gumball machines because everybody knows I love gumballs. Oh, my God. So I just imagine her house is just overrun with gumball machines. Oh, man. I, probably dolls. I don't know. I can only imagine. Um I did, though receive as a birthday gift some Lisa Frank stationery when I was a kid. Oh, I had it too. I treasured it. And one of the sheets had the gumball machine motif. And I loved it. I'm pretty sure I had the one with a unicorn on the top of it. Mine was a variety pack. And I would take it out every now and then and (laughs) not write on it because I had to save it for a special occasion. I would just flip through all of the, you know, the the different designs and just marvel at them. At her art? At her art. You I were a Lisa it. Frank collector, just like her dad. Yeah. I mean, and this would have been around the time when she'd gotten through the sticker slump. Oh, good. And the Lisa Frank salad days had arrived. So in 1991, Time Magazine, the, the, the very Time Magazine <laughs> that mentioned the sticker slump, reported that the Lisa Frank office received thousands of letters from girls all the time asking whether Lisa Frank is real, and they dubbed her the Queen of Stickers. Interesting. The Queen of Stickers. I I thought that was my title, but that's fine. Um, yeah, they wrote that the company expected to sell 20 million items that year, including 3.5 million stickers, doubling the previous year's sales. And Lisa, in her interview with Time Magazine, said, our company has more of an artistic passion than just a business. And that's the thing. I feel like Lisa has always maintained the concept of Lisa as more of an artist Mm -hmm. than like a commercial saleswoman. Maybe that's why she has six people working for her now. As opposed to like 600 (laughs) from back in the day. Yeah. So in its late 90s peak, the company was making around $60 million a year. Um, And she had big plans at this time, including a Lisa Frank theme park. Oh, I want it so bad. It would be called The Fantastic World of Lisa Frank. There was also a TV show and adult apparel that she wanted to get into. How adult are we talking? Are we talking like Lisa Frank lingerie? I think we're talking adult as in like large, you know, human adult people sizes <laughs> rather than adult oh. people underwear. Although ooh, I'd wear it if it were if it were good quality. There you go. I'm just going to go ahead and, and put in that request. Just float that out in the universe that if anybody Selling high-quality Lisa Frank underpants. I'm down. 
Here you go, down to clown. <laughs> but then once the new millennium arrived, Lisa started to fall on tough times again. So in 2001, uh, the company had to pay $30,000 to the FEC for collecting kids' personal information online. I mean, who even knows how the Internet works, right? Like, Lisa's like, here, kitties, like, fill in all of these boxes with your information and your mother's maiden name. Yeah, join the online Lisa Frank fan club. The army. The righteous army of Lisa (laughs) Frank. Um, Yeah, so yeah, they got in a little trouble for that. And that could be one of the reasons behind why it can be so hard to get Lisa Frank merch on the Internet now. Yeah, they think that uh, that kind of made them skittish about getting into online retail. But that was certainly not the company's death knell because three years later in 2004, uh, there's a 25th anniversary story in the Arizona Star that reported Lisa Frank Inc. was selling 100 million items per week, including 23 million pencils. <laughs> FYI. Um, and the company also boasted a magazine at the time and their fan club <laughs> where they were collecting all these children's information that, without their parental consent. That good little Lisa Frank communist <laughs> army. I know. It, there were 100,000 Members, you know, so really she did have a little, a little army going. And speaking to the newspaper, James Green, who was the CEO and Lisa Frank's husband at the time said, we feel like we're in a dream making company. Um, which and- is, well, that's great until, you know, like hundreds of people got laid off and Lisa Frank was like, you know, it's fine. I'm tough, but nice. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, this this kind of glowing feature piece in the Arizona Star just mentioned as a side note that there had been some downsizing at Lisa Frank. Um, and I largely bl- blame, I mean, yes, Lisa Frank, but also James Green. Yeah, this guy sounds like he is the absolute worst. And I say is because if you look at his current company, he still looks like he's the worst. He converted from Judaism to Christianity, supposedly, and now sells like all of this Christian swag. And it's so funny to look at the comments under stories about it because everybody who has worked for Lisa and James is like, ain't no way. (laughs) Ain't no way. But yeah, he he started out at, at Lisa Frank Inc., working under Lisa Frank as a graphic designer, right? Or as an artist? Yeah. So he was hired in 1982 as the company's first in-house mm. illustrator. Um, and things got hot and heavy up in that, that unicorn office. <laughs> um, so Frank and Green strike up a romance. And what do you know? Green zooms right up the corporate ladder. And she names him president of the company. In 1992, two years later, they get married and (laughs) they buy a garish uh, Tucson mansion with a private jet, Mm. which I can only hope has Lisa Frank characters emblazoned across it. There, There is this house in Marietta, Georgia, um, really near where I grew up, that is bright pink stucco. Uh, It has a pond out front. With a fountain, like a, one of those giant, like, f- spews water straight up in the air like from the middle of the pond. Geyser fountains? Uh, basically. And uh, a giant swan paddle boat. And that's just what I pictured when I think about Lisa Frank's 
house because it it has to be pink, right? Oh yeah. I'm um, just gonna I'm just gonna say that it is. I've also driven by that house. I know exactly the house that you're talking about. And yeah. I, I love that you know what house it is. Yeah. I mean, how could how could anyone forget the the pink house with the swan paddle boat in front of it? <laughs> Listeners are like, what? what are they talking about? Um, also, quick side question: Who do you think would play James Green in a movie? And I only asked Tom that- Cruise. Oh, yeah. Do tell. Well, James Green is of um, shorter stature. Hashtag not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but to me, like reading all of these articles and research about Lisa and James and how he sounds terrible, but also like how almost obsessed she is with her father and his role in her career and her background and everything. I get the impression that like she was Katie Holmes to James Green's Tom Cruise. Whoa. Yeah, like some there was some sort of like early life pattern revolving around men that was clearly set up. And then she ends up with James Green and he's probably a master manipulator because how else do you like wind up with the CEO, not the CEO, but the founder of the company who then like makes you the CEO and president. And Mm. all the meanwhile, you're a big old jerk. Well, and he doesn't sound like a jerk so far, you know, like r- right now it's 1994. They're living in their their pink Tucson mansion with a swan paddle boat. We can only imagine things seem happy go lucky. Lisa has some kids. She's like, you know what? I'm just going to step back from daily operations. I just want to focus on raising the kids. By the way, James Green, here is a 49% stock share in my company. I think they were the only two stockholders in Lisa Frank, Inc. Sounds like a bad idea. Um, side note, <laughs> her kids were named Hunter and Forrest. Keep in mind, their last name is Green, Hunter Green and Forrest Green. And they, of course, because Lisa bases her characters on either herself or people in her life, um, and she uh, created a leopard cub and a tiger cub named Hunter and Forrest in honor of her sons. I do love that leopard cub. The leopard cub is cute. Yeah. It's very cute. But what is not cute is what's about to happen Whoa. with James Green. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. 
And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. So, Caroline, I think that this might be one of the, the gossipiest, is that a word? Yeah. Episodes of Stuff Mom Never Told You. This just, just reads like a tabloid. Well, yeah, because Lisa and particularly James have been so private, relatively private. Um, and so what you end up hearing and reading is reports from former Lisa Frank Inc. workers. And those reports are not exactly glowing. Oh, yeah. So um, in 2013, Tracy Egan Morrissey, who is then a writer for Jezebel, wrote this piece that I highly recommend <laughs> listeners read called Inside the Rainbow Gulag, The Technicolor Rise and Fall of Lisa Frank, in which she kind of reveals the house of horrors that was and still kind of is, it sounds like, uh, working at Lisa Frank. She interviewed a former illustrator named Jacob, who was there for four years, who said, of course, from the outside, it's colorful. You've got the rainbow, the stars, the hearts on the building, the statue of the panda. But inside, it was like an abusive alcoholic home. See? Oh, and I was having, trust me, I was having flashbacks to my first job that I had when I moved to Atlanta when I worked. And you can go back and listen to our psychopath episode <laughs> in which I might insinuate a few things. Um But yeah, when you work for like a literally crazy set of people, um, and again, I'm not saying that Lisa Frank and or James Green literally had mental problems, although it sounds like there were some... Like I said, unhappy patterns. It is like working for an abusive alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, she developed a reputation as the worst employer in Tucson because of the hostile work environment. And there were so many allegations of verbal abuse. Uh, Caroline, not not me, not you, um, a Tucson resident who considered applying 
at Lisa Frank, because apparently Lisa Frank is always hiring because Lisa Frank is always firing. Um, so she told Jezebel every person who ever worked there seemed to have a case of PTSD from it. Mm-hmm. Rainbow Gulag is really an apt description. Yeah, and James Green in particular was super prone to being verbally abusive to workers. He had all of these outbursts and fits of rage, maybe fists of rage as well, but particularly fits of rage. And he specifically, like, would not learn new employees' names so he could make up nicknames for them, which just makes me think of, like, an even worse Dr. House. I don't get that reference because I've never I've never watched House. But. Such a good show, although it does get a little um, repetitive. But he calls his like residents or interns or whatever just a number. Oh, like Olivia Wilde's character was six, I think. Um, yeah, not helping matters was that he was allegedly on lots and lots of cocaine, uh, and that's something that Lisa Frank of late has been like, everybody thinks I'm on drugs just because I paint like psychedelic unicorns. <laughs> well, Lisa wasn't even in the office around this time. Well, yeah, she would only pop her head in every once in a while. But who was there was this woman, Rhonda Rowlett, which that doesn't even sound real. But she was supposedly Green's work mistress. And now they run that weird, like, fake Christian merchandise company. Oh, Rhonda runs it with him? Yeah. So Rhonda, I, I believe, was his was she his executive assistant or she, another C level She was employee? Yeah, I don't think she was the assistant. I think she was another manager. So the way former Rainbow Gulag employees would tell <laughs> it, uh James and Rhonda would just do mounds of cocaine and burst out of the office just yelling at people. See, okay, side note, you didn't watch vinyl, did you? No. <sighs> It's all right. It got it probably got canceled for a reason. But I would be much more inclined to watch it if instead of having the record company executive do mounds of cocaine and run around yelling at musicians. If it was Lisa Frank's <laughs> ex-husband, if it was Lisa Frank and or her husband and or his mistress, like running around the Lisa Frank headquarters yelling at people. Uh, I'd watch that. Maybe if it was like a TV movie, I'd watch it. Instead of vinyl, it'd be just called stickers. Stickers. <laughs> um, but, I mean, in, in terms of the hostile work environment that Green and Rowlett reinforced, there were these spoken and unspoken rules, such as coworkers not really being allowed to speak to each other. Mm-hmm. That wasn't uh, very cool. Phone calls were recorded. Yep. No outside visitors were allowed in. Yep. They offered no sick days. I, feel, I literally feel like you're describing my first job in Atlanta. Anyway, go on. You, you didn't have sick days? Um, taking them was frowned upon. Our internet use was tracked. Uh, we weren't allowed to talk to each other. Keep going. Well, if you were taking a sick day and you were chit-chatting a little too much with your neighbor, <laughs> you might be called out in the bi-monthly Frankly speaking, which was the office <laughs> newsletter that Lisa and James, I guess, kind of co-authored where they would passive aggressively be like, frankly speaking, Susan in accounting should, should really find a new line of work. No, at, at my job, like passive aggressive emails did go out. Like, and the company was so small that you knew if somebody had done something. And so like an email would go out and be like, by the way. You know, for anyone who is considering using the last of the K-cups in the kitchen, 
it might be up to you next time to refill them. Frankly speaking, it would be thoughtful. <laughs> uh, also, huge missed opportunity that Lisa Frank did not start a talk show called Frankly Speaking. Right. Because I would watch at least a few minutes of that. <laughs> at least. I would watch minutes, whole minutes. Well, and these employees, of course, would try to get out of the company, but severance packages and final paychecks were often withheld. And all of this added up to extremely high turnover. Yeah, they would they would fight like people in unemployment. They yeah, which as did my former company. Um yeah, so Was your old boss Lisa Frank? I'm starting to think <laughs> so. I'm starting well maybe maybe James Green uh was cross dressing as my former boss. Um, the but plot thickens. Seriously, the plot thickens. Well, not so surprisingly, Frank and Green divorce in 2005 and Lisa reclaims her spot as CEO. And apparently, according to some of the people who had worked there leading up for like years leading up to the divorce, she'd pull people aside in these really awkward moments and be like, hey, so like if James and I got a divorce, like, would you come work for me or would you stay with him? Oh, yeah. They made all their employees pick sides. Yeah. Well, and that was after. So when she filed for divorce, that's when Green went into overdrive and was like cornering people at the office saying things like, um, you know, you're going to work for me. Right. And and just being really super paranoid and, and um, possessive. Just grinding his teeth, cocaine wringing his nose. Um, I, I really hope that they hashed out some of their feelings, too, in <laughs> really contentious issues of frankly speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> James Green and his CEO column would be like, frankly speaking, my my wife should find a new place to live. Um, once the divorce, though, happened and Lisa took over as CEO, it's not like she developed the company. I mean, she spent the next three years on nine lawsuits involving James Green, Rhonda Rowlett, and Lisa Frank, the company, because Frank and Green were the only stockholders in the company. And also, James Green's lawyers tried to allege that Lisa had created the hostile work environment, forcing employees to choose, quote, this is a quote from the lawyer, which side their bread is buttered on. Like, I mean, this is stranger than fiction. You couldn't oh, write this stuff. I know. It's so weird. And it is gossipy because it's kind of nuts. Um, and but, but anyway, like that makes since then why you haven't been able to go get those coloring books and tarot cards and whatever. The past 10 years because Lisa was busy. Yeah, Lisa was get busy re- reclaiming her life, uh, getting things back together, although not really, because as of December 2013, annual revenue was down to just over two million dollars and all of the retail stores had closed. Corporate Where- employees dropped from three hundred fifty to six. Where were these retail stores? I have a feeling that was back in the 90s. But I don't remember them in any of the. The American malls that I frequented. Well, maybe we didn't live in fancy enough cities. Oh. You know. Oh. But yeah, there were definitely retail stores. Yeah. Um, there was that, uh, old commercial starring Mila Kunis. Oh, where yeah. she, she's like, Lisa Frank is the best. And then she does a spin and I think like is magically transformed. Like, Into a penguin? Tra- <laughs> she's magically transported, I should have said. Uh. To the Lisa Frank store that's just filled with Lisa Frank. 
Sorry, my my imaginary commercial's way better. I would love to see uh, Mila Kunis spin and transform into at least a Frank Penguin. Not even young Mila Kunis, just like now. Why not? Why not? She can take Ashton Kutcher with her. And then you've got the massive Lisa Frank headquarters building in Tucson, which used to house all of those hundreds of people and now only holds like six in a room. They might be chained to their desks. We're not sure. Um, but as of 2013, despite the fact that there's like a handful of humans in the building, they still had those giant Lisa Frank three-dimensional statues as opposed to flat statues, uh, including the giant unicorn that stands at the entrance to the headquarters, although apparently its horn is missing. Yeah, I mean, to me, that just crystallizes the demise of the company if a Lisa Frank unicorn horn is missing. You know, I like... Know. that's like the... Oh they've my given God. up. It's like the movie Legend. Anybody? I'm getting none of your pop culture, <laughs> pop culture <laughs> references this episode. Anybody? People who... Yeah, it was, it's a super nerd movie, also starring Tom Cruise. Mm. He's like 20 in that movie. He wears the little sassy outfit. I gotta watch this now. Also starring Mia Sarah and a pair of unicorns. Tim Curry is the devil. It's real good. Why have I not seen it? I don't know, but I own, I own it, like the special edition on DVD. Oh man, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. Um, it is leaving work and <laughs> watching Legend. Don't tell my boss. So good. Um, but it's not like Lisa Frank hasn't tried to breathe new life into her merchandise. In 2010, they debuted a line of characters that looked a lot like Bratz dolls. That's Bratz mm. with a Z. Yeah. That had the, you know, the, the big eyes and the bubble heads and the big lips and like sexy bodies. And there was a writer who had stumbled across these sexy Lisa characters with names like Razzle Dazzle and uh, Jelly Bean. I don't know. And <laughs> no, they did have ridiculous names. And she was so distraught because uh, she raised a good point that one of the best things about Lisa Frank was that it was all animals and inanimate objects. You know, yeah. like there was no room for negative self-comparison. Mm-hmm. You just had this imaginary world where... You could twirl and become a penguin if you wanted to or, you know, reach up in the air and grab a flying hot dog and eat it. (laughs) I was totally not expecting you to say that, but I love it. Um, Sounds like a dream world. Um, And plus, you know, Lisa Frank's drawings meant so much to kids. They were so brightly brightly colored and and who doesn't love like you said a golden retriever eating some ice cream even though it's really bad for dogs don't do that um you know who who wouldn't be attracted to that and we haven't even mentioned the dolphins i know the dolphins and the rainbow water well and and that was one thing that i was hoping to find but couldn't, which was a little academic analysis of of the appeal of Lisa Frank because it was so specific and so strong and just remembering how I would sit there for God knows how long just staring at stationary. Yeah. What was it like? What was so magical about it to you? There was just something very special about it. And I did appreciate the overt girliness of it. Um And... I don't know. It was just like, I guess it was, there was that element of fantasy 
as well, where she kind of presented in a just eye-popping way all of my favorite things. Yeah. Minus cheetah print. I wasn't super into the cheetah print. Yeah. But, you know, like gumball machines, those were cool. <laughs> Puppies, I'll take them. Dolphins. I'll ride one. Exactly. Um, yeah, and this is sort of, this sort of gets back to what I wanted to hit on in our children's imagination episode that we did about a year ago. Um, there is something about those bright colors and those shiny, like everything was made to look almost plastic in these two-dimensional drawings. And so what I was also curious about back in that episode, too, was like, why, when you're a child and you look at something, does it leap off the page and seem so real and fantastical and amazing? And you can look at the same drawing as an adult and be like, oh, it's just like a purple cat or whatever. Because life makes you cynical. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't know what it is. Like, But, I, you know, I did some reading on children and colors, trying to figure out, you know, do children look at and and feel about colors differently than grown-ups do and and not really it's just that children are very attracted to bright vibrant super saturated colors and you know they have a different favorite color every week depending on what they want their identity to be um but i i couldn't really hit on anything that made it clear why children would be so obsessed with lisa frank do you think that for girls in particular, because clearly this was marketed and consumed largely by girls, do you think there was also the element of just unabashed appreciation of girliness? Yeah, and and cute. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, like n- no shame in that cute game, you know. <laughs> like there, uh, I I wonder if that's part of it too. But I mean, I think that clearly what we're saying is that our listeners who are in academia have a job to do. Absolutely. Um, I would actually uh, pay the premium to (laughs) read that paper on one of those academic journal websites that have the paywalls. I'd pay it. Yeah, I'd read it. I'd read more than the abstract. Um, I do want to put this out there, though. Lisa on Lisa, before we wrap up this episode, because... um, I don't want to entirely disparage, you know, Lisa's vision. No. Because she still takes it very seriously. And you can tell in this Foundations Magazine interview, which is focused on her art, her as an artist in particular, that, um, that she is really passionate about, about her work. I mean, her, <laughs> she does say that her art inspirations include Jasper Johns, Margaret Keene, uh, Davis Cohn, Peter Max. I mean, she she has a, a art history, like knowledge and appreciation. Um, and she said, my true passion is art. So I don't want to just put trash out there. Right. But I, I think that in the process of selling all those licensing rights, Lisa's put some trash out there. Oh, no. I know. Well, so... But we can still enjoy her. Oh, we can absolutely still enjoy her. I mean, just but learning the soap opera yeah. behind the merchandise that I think was a hallmark of a, a lot of 90s kids childhoods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dark story behind the rainbow animals. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like revealing the the dark corners of the unicorn stalls and the, the bubblegum <laughs> machines that were actually just filled with poison. <laughs> emotional poison. A lot of emotional poison. And cocaine. <laughs> I'm so glad she and, and James got divorced. I know. And, and here's the thing. Um, she rarely does interviews. Mm-hmm. She only did that interview with Urban Outfitters that we referenced earlier in the podcast because briefly, I think it was in 2013, she did a licensing deal with Urban and they sold some, some nostalgia merch. Um, but I think that fizzled pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. She has a reputation not only to be difficult to work with in-house, but also uh, contractually. Yeah. She gets kind of flighty. Yeah, I think she sounds like um, an artist entrepreneur who probably needs a good um, stable of uh, business people around her who who get the mission, get the gist, and will actually maybe be the buffer. Sounds Between like her and everyone else. Sounds like you are uh, writing yourself a little cover letter there, oh. Caroline. <laughs> Lisa Frank, I heard you're crazy. No. But the thing is, I, I mean, how it, it's got to be hard, no matter who you are, to long term capitalize on like a retail fad. Yeah. I mean, how far can you ride that unicorn? <sighs> I don't know. Does it have wings? Oh, twist. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I think nostalgia, nostalgia will get you pretty far for a little bit. But I do think the fact that she has like literally been unable to saturate the market in the past 20 years, f- for the most part, has like kept her. Pe- it, it's kept people wanting more. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and just judging by the response to that coloring book, which was picked up by every Internet outlet, it seems like. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get one. The news went viral. Yeah. Get yourself to Dollar General, girl. Pick you up. Are they they already out? I saw a photo of one um, online. So definitely by the time this podcast is airing, they should be out. Well, you know, I've got a vacation coming up. Ooh. Maybe I can get a coloring book instead of reading adult books with words. There you go. Like adult books as in grown up or adult books as in your your mom's romance novels. Anyway, so I can't wait to hear from listeners. <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> um, so what are our final thoughts on Lisa Frank? You know, I mean I I you know, as much reading as we did and as much as I completely empathize with the abused workers of Lisa Frank Inc. Like, I I feel that there's a little soft spot for Lisa herself because she just wanted to follow that rainbow dream, you yeah. know? And, and she got mixed up with a bad guy along the way and made some not-so-great business decisions. I do wish she would learn her lesson, though, and be nicer to employees and companies that she's working with. Yeah, but it, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're being selfish and wanting more from Lisa. Than Lisa has to give? Yeah. Lisa on Lisa. I mean, frankly speaking. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Arches and Halo. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. 
They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better H-E-L-P.com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. With that, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, get us out of here. No, that that was the perfect way to segue to asking listeners for their Lisa Frank thoughts. Does anyone have a theory on the appeal of Lisa Frank? Is anyone else excited to get that coloring book? And has anyone else worked for Lisa Frank? or know someone who has worked for Lisa Frank who has a story to share, please email us everything. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. So Kristen and I have been pretty open on the podcast about our struggles with adult acne. And that's why we were so excited to get our BioClarity products and what's most fun is using their Restore Gel. So it's green because it's derived from plants, but it is super soothing to our skin. So what is this BioClarity we're talking about? Well, BioClarity is a totally new acne treatment designed specifically for young adult skin that is naturally better. It's clinically proven to clear up acne blemishes and help maintain clear confident skin. They even did a clinical trial to prove that before going ahead with their product launch. And about that product, BioClarity is a three-step cleansing system that starts with a rich foaming cleanser, a step two gel treatment to attack bacteria that cause acne, and then step three, that restore gel that Caroline and I just can't get enough of. Yeah, so step one, you wash away dirt, oil, and pollutants with that cleanser. Step two, the gel contains antioxidants and attacks bacteria that cause acne. And step three, that restore gel with Floralux helps reduce redness, the size of pores, and soothes the skin. So what are you waiting for? Get on your way toward clearer skin today by going to bioclarity.com. Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners can get their first month for only $9.95. That's a $20 savings, and it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee. But you need to enter our code STUFF. 
That's bioclarity.com and enter code stuff. Don't wait. Go to bioclarity.com today. And now back to the show. Well, I have a letter here from Marin in response to our librarian uh, two-parter. Marin says, librarians hold a special place in my heart as I worked at a library in high school and my boss was a kick-ass librarian. Incidentally, she is an older unmarried woman, but a far cry from the spinster librarian stereotype. I did do some shelving and circulation desk work, but mainly I helped plan and run summer book clubs for teens, along with many other events, put together book lists for different subjects, and research titles for new acquisition. It was definitely the best job ever. Something I didn't know until I started that job, and something I was a little surprised y'all didn't mention when talking about the librarianship being at the intersection of a service job and a profession, is that library science is a master's degree. These women and men go through some pretty specialized training, but most people are unaware that it requires a specific degree. Interestingly, in undergrad, I ended up taking a children's literature elective through the library science grad school department at my college, and it was based on child psychology and literacy and geared toward those striving to become librarians at elementary schools or children's librarians at public libraries. Currently, I'm in medical school, and most of our librarians work with digital information, helping us navigate science and medical journals and evidence-based medicine websites and apps. It's remarkable to see the breadth of work there is for librarians and how they have adapted their knowledge on information to the modern age. However, we do have a more quote-unquote traditional librarian who runs the physical library on campus and deals with the (laughs) old-school books. Hilariously, she is the literal opposite of a Madame Pince-esque librarian, harping at students to be quiet. Instead, she always speaks extremely loudly, either on the phone or to other people, even though it's a silent library, usually full of students studying. Insert laugh cry emoji here. Please keep doing what you do. And Marin says, P.S. Kristen, I am so excited that you're watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time. I have to admit, I do have a bit of a crush on Giles. Yeah, Giles is handsome, for sure. Uh, I have a letter here from another librarian, Natasha, who writes, I've often felt the field of librarianship gets a bad rap because a lot of people don't really understand what we do as a profession. I've often received comments from our patrons who are surprised that we have to get a master's degree to work as librarians. They believe all we do is sit at a desk and tell people where the restroom is. The worst comments are people who ask us why we're still relevant since Google exists. Which brings me to why I write. While I appreciated the time you spent on the history of librarianship, I felt you were a little lacking on some of the current trends in libraries and where we are as a profession. For instance... Librarians are at the forefront of fighting for freedom of information, fair use, and open access. We're also wrestling with the concept of information literacy and how to teach individuals how to navigate the web of information without getting lost. As researchers, I'm sure you're both aware of how difficult it can be to ascertain the differences between good and bad sources. Librarians are working on providing tools to the public to figure out the difference between the two. I truly believe libraries are one of the last democratic institutions on earth where anyone from any background can learn and grow in a non-judgmental open environment. We librarians work very hard to continue to keep it that way and improving on many diversity issues. I truly appreciated that you both took two episodes to provide some insight for those who aren't as familiar with libraries. Well, thank you so much, 
for sharing that, Natasha. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn more if you want to about Lisa Frank, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.